Dan will be preaching next week. I'm be preaching this week, and we are not covering Revelations. <laughs> we're leaving that to Larry, you know. So, um, but um, as I was praying about what we're going to cover, uh, uh, Jude came to mind as I was looking through some old documents, and it really is. I, I titled this the how-to of contending for the faith, and it really ties in well with Revelations. What we've been talking about, where we're going, you know, the reality of end times. You know, if we're in the end times, and I think we are, but I'm not a prophet. I don't know. The one thing I do know is we're one day closer to Jesus coming back today than we were yesterday. And so, and that's a good thing. I can't wait for that. But um, the reality is we're living in a world more and more where our faith is being challenged. How do we contend for the faith? How do we stand strong in it? And that's what we're going to look at in Jude. Um, I, when I say Jude to you, if you're probably 50 or older, what comes to mind? Yeah, that's exactly it. Isn't it funny how things, you know, it's the Beatles, right, that come to mind. But Jude, I don't know if you know who Jude was. He was actually Jesus' half-brother. He was James, the, the, the book of James that was written. Not the Apostle James, which is an interesting thing. The book of James was written by Jesus' half-brother James. And the book of Jude was written by Jesus' half-brother Jude, James' brother. When I say half-brother, they had the same mom, but obviously not the same dad, right? So um, that's who Jude is. Is it popping a lot? Do I need to move it farther away from me, or is it getting better? Down, okay. I don't know if that's probably worse. It's set up for Larry, not for me. Our heads are different shaped. I'm, I'm not going to go any farther than that. So. <laughs> but we're going to look at Jude today. Um, and the theme throughout Jude, I have to learn how to use this thing. Um, the theme of the book of Jude is really about contending for the faith. If you look, if, if you've got a Bible with you, uh, turn to Jude. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll gladly give you one to use, take it home with you. Um, it's all in there. I'm, I'm going to read all of Jude here, or not all of Jude, that what we're looking at. But first, just to look at Jude, verse 3, you find out what Jude's purpose was. Kill it. Okay. Otherwise, my mouth is big enough that uh, I probably could speak without it. But, uh, but Jude is all about contending for the faith. In, in verse 3, he says, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation that we share, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. And so he, he, this whole book is about contending for the faith. And he actually goes on in the next 16 verses. He talks about the false teachers, about, about the apostates, past and present, who are trying to pervert the faith, who are trying to challenge the faith. And he talks about their doom. And, and, and he's, woe to them. They are twice dead. They are a blemish. He really, he's not kind to them at all. Um, if you read those first uh, 16 verses, he talks about their, their, their terrible fate. He talks about the danger of the heresy that they're teaching. And you know, it's interesting, in the end times, there's going to be lots. We'll be looking at this in a minute. A lot of false teaching. And we see that in the church. We see it from outside the church. Those who are attacking the gospel. Those who are attacking Jesus. So we need to be prepared 
to contend for that faith, to stand strong. How do we do it? It's interesting, though. So those first 16 verses, he's talking about um, the bad people, but then he turns a corner, and, uh, and, he, and he talks to the, us about how to contend for that faith. And it's interesting, because I'm going to read this starting in verse 17. He compares us, and the contrast is this dear friends, but you, dear friends. So he's been talking about these apostates, these false teachers, those who are perverting the truth. And then he turns and he says, but you, dear friends. And it's interesting that dear friends, beloved is, is the way the ESV translates it, and it's, I think it's a better, better term, beloved. You know, dear friends is sort of like, well, dear friends like the way we start a letter. But beloved, those who are loved, those who love one another, right? Those who are loved by God and those who love one another. But you, dear friends, you, beloved, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end times, there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. These people create division and are unbelievers, not having the Spirit. But you, dear friends, but you, beloved, again, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others but with fear, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. So he turns the corner and he begins to talk to the beloved, to the dear friends. And really you start to look and he begins verse 17 through 19 with this challenge to be aware. Be aware. Don't be, you know, hiding. Don't be naive. Be aware. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted. Remember, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end times, there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. These people create division and are unbelievers, not having the spirit. We're called to be aware, to remember what the apostles said, to remember the truth, the foundation that we're built upon. And watch out for the scoffers. Another one puts it, the mockers. Those who are there mocking true faith. Those who are out there making fun of, right? The beliefs of the Bible. Those who are saying it's foolish. Those who are saying, well, that, we need to change it. You know what? Those mockers are both inside the church and outside the church, right? We have the new atheists, right? Stephen Hawking. We have so many like him who... who they mock from outside. But we have those inside the church who mock and say, well, yeah, but this is, you can't read this that way. We got to bring it up to date. We have to make sure things are right. It's amazing. I look at, um, I don't know if any of you in here watch Fixer Upper. 
It's an HGTV. I don't actually have cable TV, but I've seen it enough to know. And JoJo, Joanne, and, and uh, Chip Gaines, and they fix these things up. And I actually, Karen and I really like to watch it. We joke that we're a lot like the two of them. I'm, you know, but uh, she's the creative one. I'm the one who does what she says to do. So, no. Um, but, um, you know, they're believers, right? They've been pretty out front about that in all that they do. And I've seen some really cool stuff. And one day, as happens on your phone, right, stuff comes across. They're saying, wow. You know, and this thing came up, uh, something about bad discovery about Chip and Joanna Gaines and their church. And, I, and I, you know, I'm thinking, I'm going, oh, no. Don't tell me that these people are in some kind of, you know, wacko church. One of these, you know, that's, that's not following the word of God. And so I, well, I'm going to flip. I never usually look at this, but I looked at it. And it said, well, do you know the church that Chip and Joanna Gaines goes to? Their pastor doesn't believe in gay marriage. How dare they go? And, and they go to this church, so they must believe the same. See how out of whack these people are? Scoffers from outside who look at this and say, anybody who holds the truth of this is weird. We're mocked, we're scoffed at. We need to be aware that there's going to be a lot of that. There's going to be a lot of pressure, and there has been a lot of pressure. I see it amongst, especially I think of the young people, those who are going to college, even in high school, the pressure to conform to the beliefs that the world says. I, I can't help but think of, uh, of Timothy. Paul writing in 2 Timothy, if you flip back just a few pages, you'll find 2 Timothy. Paul writes this, right? This is, always comes to my mind with it. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they, are, they have itching ears to hear something new. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Inside the church, right? This is what we have going inside the church. People want to hear what makes them feel good, what sounds good, what... what builds me up, you know, in some way, makes me feel better about myself, all the happy, happy fluff. It's happening. It's happening around us, guys. We need to be aware. I can't help but think of um, this. Actually, it came to me at church, which is really amazing to me. One day, this was probably four or five years ago, I got this letter in the mail, and I opened it up, and in it, you folded up this little thing, and out of it was a photocopy that looked like a really fancy little Persian rug, you know, really pretty little thing. It was probably, it probably came to about legal size. And in it was this message from this ministry that said, use this faith rug and it's been blessed. And if you just kneel on it and pray, everything you've asked for will come your way. Oh, and by the way, if you give us money besides, it'll really bless you. Itching ears want to hear, but I can you imagine someone who gets that who's not grounded in the word and they've got great burdens and they begin to get sucked into these things? We need to be aware of scoffers. And then he goes on and he defines these scoffers, what they're like. And he says, number one, and, and I gotta be really honest, I don't like the way the, the this version describes these three things. Uh, 
the Holman Christian Standard. I, I prefer the ESV or NIV, and I'll, I'll bring this. These people create divisions. Actually, the word there is not so much about creating divisions. They divide themselves from others. The word is much more about they separate themselves. They are superior, right? And we see this in all the things that go on, right? The, uh, you got to be un, uninformed and not bright to believe those things, right? We have a greater understanding, much like the Pharisees did, right? That was the Pharisees. They divided themselves. They were far superior. They had far more intellect, far more understanding, far more logic, far more feelings, far more caring, whatever you want to put to it. And those are the things that divide them. And so their way is so much better because of that. Uh, this was a lot of years. Late 80s, early 90s, I was at, working as a pastor in cities in a Presbyterian church. And the church was really good, but the, the presbytery was already, if you know where the Presbyterian church has gone, it's gone way off the rails. But this was back then, and there was a group within the presbytery that called themselves the More Light Group because they had received more light than the rest of us on the word of God. And they understood things better. And therefore, and they came up with all this great new stuff. And at the heart of their thing was God is love. And because God is love, all love is okay. It doesn't matter what kind of love it is, extramarital, premarital, whatever you want, because God is love. And they had all these more light things because they had greater understanding and greater revelation. You know, when it comes to the truth of the word of God, if it's new, it's probably not true. <laughs> Anything that's great, because we're built right upon the truth, the foundation of Jesus Christ, and then the apostles. He even mentions based upon the apostles. And we built upon this foundation, that truth, if it's old, it's probably good as gold, right? If it's new, it's not true. We need to, we need to guard against what sounds really good in some new great revelation. And what I find, the other thing that amazes me, when people go old, you know how far they go back? They go back to the Middle Ages. Not to the beginning, not to the first century church, not to the Acts, but to the Middle Ages. Do you know what the church was like in the Middle Ages? It was dark. <laughs> it was called the Dark Ages, too. I mean, it was a bad, but yet we don't go back to the, the foundations. We're called to go back to the truth of the foundation. And these scoffers, they divide based upon their, their superior. They have a greater idea. They have a better idea. They're more caring. They're more all these things that motivates that. But not only do they divide, it, it goes on and he says they create divisions and they are unbelievers. And again, I don't like that term, although it's, it's accurate. It, it's deeper than that. The ESV puts it as their worldly people. The NIV puts it as they have natural instincts. If you look at the Greek word there, it's really talking about that they live by the flesh. They live according to their own feelings. They live according to their own logic, their own reasoning, their own desires. It really ties right back in with 2 Timothy, right? They, they bring people to tell them what they want to hear. And it's warning these scoffers are worldly. They're living by the world's logic rather than the truth of the word of God. These are the warnings. When, when things sound really good out there, and people are really good at making things sound really good until you really tear it apart or compare it to the word of God. And the final description is 
the not having the Spirit. And really, it's two go together. This not, have, not walking by the Spirit, but walking by the flesh instead. Uh, Galatians 5, if you want to turn there, Galatians 5.16 talks specifically about this. Um, this battle, and you know what? This battle, like I said, is inside and outside the church. Um, Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says this. I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These two are opposed to each other so you don't do what you want to. The idea that, you know, these are complete opposites, right? If we walk by the Spirit, we don't walk by the flesh. If we walk by the flesh, we do not have the Spirit. And we're called, these scoffers are not walking by the Spirit, they're walking by the flesh, whereas we're called to walk by the Spirit, to walk in God's truth by God's power through His Holy Spirit working in us. That's the call. So these, these scoffers... We're to be aware of all that's going on out there. We're to be aware of those who are mocking from inside and outside. We're to be aware of all that's going on. We are to be aware of the flesh and its power to draw us in, right? Because we have the flesh at war in us too. So some of their great reasoning pulls at the flesh. But it's not truth. So we're to be aware we look at the next section, we're to be prepared. We're, we're not only to be aware of what's going on, but we're to be prepared for what's going on. In verse 20 and 21, again he says, but you, beloved, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Spirit, keep yourself in God's love expecting the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. So we get to the contrast here. And I'm just going to go through them in, in the order he lists them, although I, I will, I'll tell you ahead of time, the central theme here is keep yourself in the love of God. But um, be prepared. Build yourself up. It's interesting that word there is a training word. It's a word used for battle. It's a word used, be prepared. Train yourself up. Do what you need to, to be ready. Study. Study. Encourage. Accountability. We need to be in his word. We need to be seeking the Lord. Um, To me, it's interesting. That's what we need Sunday mornings, right? We meet to build each other up. We meet to hear the word of God. We meet to encourage each other. But I got to be real honest. If, if this is the only morning you hear the word of God, you're going to be really weak. And I got to be also honest. If, if the only way you hear the word of God is when someone else chews it up and spits it into your mouth, uh, that, you, know, you know, that's what mama birds do with baby birds, right? They, they go get the food, they chew it all up, and then they spit it into the mouth. When you do that, it's eating baby food all the time. And we're called for more than that. And you know what? I love listening to other preachers on, on, I, on podcasts and different things like that. That's fantastic. But it's still allowing them to just feed me the whole time. We need to get to the point where we're digging. As, as Pastor Larry has said so many times, we need to have a regular 
quiet time, a regular time of digging into the word. And you know what? And wrestling with it. It's okay that we don't understand everything (laughs) the first time through. We need to wrestle with that. We need to dig into it. We need to study it and do those things. We need to, but not only do we need Sunday mornings, guys, we need each other. That's why life groups are so important because the encouragement and the accountability come even more so within the small group, right? Within the life group, within, you know, Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not forsake meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. And that day there is a capital D talking about the end. We're called to spur one another on, to love, to encourage, to meet together. One of the ways we build, these are the ways we build ourselves up. These are the ways that we draw closer together. And I love that it says, build yourself up in your most holy faith. What do you think of when you think of that? Okay, I need to act really holy and faithful. And oh, yes, I'm, that's not what it's talking about. <laughs> it's not. And, you know, I read that build myself up. I'm to do that and look really holy and act really holy. And no, it's interesting. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, holy. What does holy mean? Set apart. It's not about perfection in, because we're to be holy as Christ is holy. How many of you are doing really good at that? I'm not. If it means perfection. You know what? Thankfully, we are perfected because of him and what he has done. But that word holy is to be set apart. And really, perfection is completely set apart. And that's why God is holy, because he is completely set apart from us. But understand it in terms of This, contending for the faith, we are to be set apart from the world. Uh, This year with the the students, one of our themes throughout the year has been, what do you smell like? And it was not a personal hygiene talk that we were doing, okay? It wasn't about, uh, you know, antiperspirant or showers or that. I know some of the parents might think we should cover that, but uh, if you have a teenage boy who's about 14, maybe. But um, no, it was about the aroma of Christ, It's about the aroma of Christ. Do we smell like Christ to the world or do we stink like the world? And the same is true of us, guys. This is what it's it's talking about, this most holy faith. Do we smell like Christ? Do people see us different than the world or do we look just like the world and act just like the world and talk just like the world? And this faith, you know what? This faith... Our faith is built upon the body of truth we're contending for, right? Um, John 8, 32 says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. This faith is built upon the body of truth. And faith that is not built upon this body of truth is in trouble, right? Those are the ones who get sucked in by the scoffers and mockers. So we're, we're to be prepared. We're to be build ourselves up in all of this. We're to study, to encourage. And then I love it. goes on and he says, and pray in the Holy Spirit. And really, Larry talked about this last week when he was talking about prayer, right, within Revelation. This idea, what's the motive? What's the background of your prayers? 
Is your prayer a wish list to God, a, a heart's desire to God? And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with that. In Peter, he says, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. We're told we can cast our cares upon him, and that's great. But that's only one part of prayer, guys. And I would argue it's the smallest part of prayer. Prayer is about dialogue with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If your prayer is a monologue, it's a big problem. Prayer is a dialogue. Are you listening? Are you letting his heart become your heart? Are you allowing him to be God? You know what? Prayer, really, really prayer led by the Holy Spirit brings about God's will and God's power. See, as the Holy Spirit speaks to us, as we're quiet, as we listen, and bends our hearts towards his heart, then we're ready We're ready to contend for the faith. That's one of the ways we're prepared. Our heart needs to become in tune with his heart. And that means listening to the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to move in us and through us. It's an important part. And then as I said earlier, keeping yourselves in God's love. And this is central. This is not only central to this being prepared. I would argue this is central to contending for the faith, right? We need to keep ourselves in God's love. As we keep ourselves in God's love, guess what? We are built up. Because his love is central to it all. It's what motivates us to study and to be accountable. It's what connects us to the Holy Spirit. And I think it's interesting. What's it mean to keep ourselves in God's love? It means, okay, God, I'm going to hang on to you no matter what, even if you try to pull away from me, God. No, it's not about that. Um, keep yourself as he keeps you. I actually love Pastor Larry's analogy with Daniel. When Daniel was a much smaller guy it, it, in, uh, at Disney World, Right? I, you've probably heard him tell a story where they were in all this crowd and he said he could feel Daniel, who was a little guy, just clinging to his hand because he didn't want to get swept away by all the crowd. But little did he know that dad was holding his hand and dad would not let go. So this keeping is not about us clinging to God because he's running away from us or won't. It's about, I love actually the way David Guzik puts this. He says it this way in his commentary. Keep yourself in harmony with God's ever-present love. Let me say that again. Keep yourself in harmony with God's ever-present love. It's about us keeping in his hand, staying there. I love that word harmony in there. Um, I couldn't help but think of, uh, uh, and I can't remember the name of the song, that tune your hearts, tune our hearts to sing your praise. It's an old uh, hymn that says, we're to tune our hearts to sing our praise. And as a guy who plays, I don't call myself a musician, a guy who plays a guitar um, and sings a little bit, but um, you have to tune your guitar, right? You have to keep it in tune. When do you tune your guitar? Do you tune it after you're done or before? Before, right? What's the matter if I tune my guitar afterwards, right? It's a little late. We're to tune our hearts to God. And, And it's one of the reasons I would really argue that we need to meet the Lord in the morning before the day starts. We need to spend time with him in the morning, tuning our heart at the beginning of the day to him. But it's interesting, you know what? 
I don't know if you ever notice these guys tuning their guitars in the middle of worship too. It's a continual process. We got to keep tuning our hearts to God. We got to keep, because it's easily go out by the pressures and the stress of the day. It's interesting. I, I own two guitars. Um, I own a six string and I own a 12 string. Which one do you think goes out its tune easier, the six or the 12? The 12 string. Why? Because it's got more strings? No, that's not really the reason. You know why? Because the more strings cause more stress on the neck. And therefore, it more easily goes out of tune. You know what? When there's more stress going in our life, more busyness, more chaos, what do we tend to do? We tend to not have quite as much time to tune our hearts. And yet what we need to do is tune our hearts more often to him. We need to be in tune with him. That's what it means to keep ourselves in his love, is to keep ourselves in tune, in harmony with God's ever-present love. Um, We do that as we seek him, as we worship him, as we fellowship with him. And then it goes on to say, uh, keep yourself in the love of God, expecting the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Waiting expectantly is one of the ways we're prepared, guys. Waiting as we keep our focus on the hope to come, right? That strengthens us, builds us up for what's going on now. You know what? The really cool part of Revelation is not all the battles that take place and all the cups and bowls and, you know, all that stuff. The really cool part is chapter 21 and 22. When the new Jerusalem comes down and when God dwells with his people, that's the hope we wait upon. Yeah, and before that comes, there's going to be trials and there's going to be struggles and there's going to be those who are, who are buffering us. But yet, one of the ways we stay prepared is keeping our eye on the prize. So Paul said, right, I forget what's behind me, looking forward to what's ahead of me. That's how we're prepared. And see, this uh, keeping yourself in, holy, in God's holy love really helps backwards too in being aware, right? As we keep ourselves in his love, it becomes easier to identify what's not true. It becomes easier to understand truth versus false. But it also helps us in going forward. Because if we look at the next couple verses, it's about being ready to care and ready to share. Ready to care and ready to share to those who are deceived, those who are lost. Have mercy on those who doubt. Show others, save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others but with fear, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. This idea that we're to, number one, show mercy. You know, it's interesting because for me, I, sometimes when I look at those who are attacking the faith inside or outside, I want to be angry. I want to be angry at them, right? I want bad stuff to happen to them. We're called to show mercy. Because you know what? Remember, they're just a tool of the real enemy. They are not our enemy. The real enemy is Satan. And they're deceived. You know the amazing thing about being deceived? You don't know it, right? 
if you're deceived about something, you don't know it. So we can look and go, come on. But they don't get it. So we're to show mercy. We're to have compassion. That's where we need to keep ourselves in the love of Christ, right? Because that love helps us to love those who otherwise we may be upset at. So we're to show mercy, number one. We're to care. We're to have compassion on the lost and the hurting and those who have made stupid choices and stand for things that we know are wrong. We're to show compassion and to love them and to show mercy. And then I love, he says, we're to snatch them, others, from the fire, the fire of hell that's referencing. We're to snatch them. I love that analogy for some reason. It's like, and you know, those are, there are those who are reaching out. They're looking for someone to snatch them. I can't help but think of, it probably was eight, nine years ago, a gentleman walked through the door of church one morning when I was preaching. Jed was his name. Jed actually started coming here a little while later, and, and uh, he lives in the cities now. Um, Jed walked in. He listened to it all. Jed was a recovering drug addict. Jed had, he, he'd straightened himself up all right that way. Jed had a tattoo on his leg that he wouldn't show me for quite a while, but the tattoo said Hellboy. And that was his nickname, and that's how he saw himself, all that. But you know what? One day he, he knew there was something more that he wanted. And he walked in the church and listened. And afterwards, actually, I got an email from him the next day because our email was in there. And he sends me, is there anybody from your church who might be willing to share an understanding of what this is all about with me? <laughs> I mean, the guy is just begging for something. Will someone teach me? Will someone show me? So Jed and I met that, met that week, and I shared the gospel with him. He prayed to receive the Lord. I, he said, what should I do now? He said, well, why don't you start just by looking through the book of John? And reading that and studying that, two days later, what should I do next? He'd already read it. And Jed, Jed's been serving and loving the Lord forever, but Jed was one of those guys who was half swallowed up. He had lots of things going on, and he was looking for someone to snatch him. And thankfully, he came to me and sort of said, will you snatch me, please? But how many more are out there waiting for us? Waiting for us to just, as we're led by the Holy Spirit, as we're listening to, to the leading of the Holy Spirit, as we're praying, as we're seeking God, who are looking to be snatched from that fire. But there is a warning with that. Others we need to be careful with. We need to be cautious, knowing that we can be defiled by the garments they're wearing. I put it this way, they're infectious. Right? With stuff we need to be cautious about. And that's a reality, and, and I'm going to be honest, I think most of the time that comes in the areas where we may already struggle, you know, um, I think of, a, a, of an addict reaching out to other addicts can be a very dangerous thing, right? Because it's a temptation they have. Whatever your temptation, I think sadly of a young lady that was in my youth group before Harvest, um, and she loved the Lord, man. When she was about 15, she just got on fire for the Lord, started serving him, was, uh, did just crazy, amazing things. When she was about 18, she was out street witnessing, and she loved sharing the gospel. And she was out alone one day and started sharing gospel with this guy. This guy was probably three years older than her, and um, the guy didn't know the Lord at all and was into not good stuff. And you know the tragic thing is? She got sucked into his lifestyle. 
with lots of consequences because she wasn't cautious. I, you know, it's one of the things I look and go, okay, number one, especially young people, anybody sharing with the opposite sex can be a dangerous thing at times. So we need to be wise that we aren't putting ourselves in areas where we're vulnerable. But we need to be always reaching out and sharing. And then I love because it, it finishes with this ending. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, power and authority before all time, now and forever. It's his work. The, the, the clarity of this, of this, how do we contend? We don't contend on our own strength. We don't contend. That's why how we contend is keep in his, in his love. That's how we contend. We stay in the palm of his hand. We stay seeking him, and he will do it. He will do it in us. He will change us. He will build us. He will give us awareness. He will lead us. We do it. He does it through us then, right, in reaching others. As we're in him, he will lead us to the people who will need to be snatched out, the people to share with. And I love that when we do it in him and it's all about him, guess what it leads to? <laughs> it leads to worship. It leads to him being everything. That's why this ends with, and to, be, uh, and to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, power and f- authority before all time, now and forever. That is such a powerful worship thing. That is what it's about, guys. We stay in him. And as we do that, we stay in his love, we're prepared. It helps to make us aware of all that's going on. And from that, we're able to care and to share what God has in him, through him, and for him. It's about surrendering and being in him. That's what it's about. Let's pray as the worship team comes up to lead us in worship of this great king. God,